All right. Well, take your Bibles with me tonight, if you would, please. And let's take a look at, let's open them to Isaiah chapter 43. Uh, When Pastor approached me uh, around the middle of May and asked me if I could fill the the, the pulpit on June 10th, I I gladly uh, told him I would do so. Then he came back and said, well, I think I also need you to fill the pulpit on um, uh, the, the 17th. And the 24th, I said, well, that, that'll be fine. And then he came back, and Brother Castro had a, had a scheduling conflict, so he said, I'm going to need you to fill all three services on Sunday the 21st. And I said, that's fine. <laughs> Although it wasn't fine, but that's okay. This isn't recorded, right? But um, uh, what, I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to preach a two-part message. Tonight, I'm going to teach part one. And next Wednesday evening, I'll teach part two. Now, part two is better than part one. So if you can only make one of the nights, I'd suggest next week because it'll be a much better message. So please make plans to be here next Wednesday to hear the better part of the two-part message. Uh, Tonight, we're going to talk about being a witness, being a witness. And what I'm going to do tonight is I'm going to lay a foundation. Uh, I'll get into my main thoughts a little bit tonight. I'll get into the first point. And then uh, I'll expound upon that same first point next week and then give the other two points. But tonight we're going to start uh, this two-part message. Ye shall be witnesses. Let's stand, please, as we read from Isaiah chapter 43. And if you'll read along silently as I read aloud, beginning at verse 9. Let all the nations be gathered together and let the people be assembled. Who among them, who among them can declare this and show us former things? Let them bring forth their witnesses, that they may be justified, or let them hear and say, It is truth. Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. I have declared and have saved, and I have showed, when there was no strange God among you. Therefore ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, that I am God. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do praise your holy name. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity we have to be in this place tonight. Lord, I thank you and I praise you for every person who's here tonight. Holy Spirit, I pray that The feeble and humble words that I will speak will be the words that you want spoken, that your people might be encouraged and might be admonished. Take this time that we have together, Holy Spirit, and use it to instruct us. We love you, Jesus, and we ask that you would be with us in this time and that all that will be done tonight would glorify your name. Thank you once again, Lord, that you use us in your service, and we ask that you would bless this time together, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I want you to look with me again at verse number 12, if you would. We read here, I have declared and have saved and I have showed. And this is, of course, a declaration of the Lord himself. The Lord is is the Savior. The Lord is the one who redeems. And the Lord alone does this thing. And he says next, when there was no strange God among you. And here he's talking about 
the, the, the truth of the fact that at Israel at that time served no false gods. They served no, no when, when God came to the, to the children of Israel in Egypt, uh, they, they had not yet taken to themselves any, any foreign gods. And God says, I saved you, and I, I declared it, and I, I, have, I have given you the understanding of it. He's saying you were not, you were not saved by the assistance or, or by the help of false gods. You were saved by Christ and Christ alone. I am so thankful tonight to be named among God's elect. I don't know how you feel about it tonight, but I am so thankful that I am a child of God. I, would, I, I tell you, I would not want to be the way I used to be. Praise the Lord for his redemption. In our church family, we have former Jehovah Witnesses. We have former Mormons, Methodists, Episcopalians, Presbyterians, Lutherans, and especially Roman Catholics. Each of us were busy and content in our spiritual pursuits before the Lord came into our lives. We were blindly going to and fro in this world, oblivious of the eternal damnation that we faced. We pursued eternal life by means of the works the differing, our differing religions instructed us as necessary. Most of what I'm going to talk about here comes from Roman Catholicism because that's what I was. I, I was. I was trying to earn my way to heaven as a Roman Catholic by the works that the church had taught me were the necessary works, things such as infant baptism, first communion. I went, to, I went to classes for three or four months just to get me ready to have a priest put a wafer on my tongue. First confession. By the way, I say it lovingly, but Catholics are not getting any, any, any graces on their confessions because they're giving them to a man, and a man cannot forgive sin. Confirmation. At the age of 12, a young Catholic is, is brought before the bishop, and he is slapped on the cheek by the bishop. My relatives were very concerned about me at that event and spoke to me several days about how do not hit him back. <laughs> they, we are taught to, to, to put forth works of penance, works of flagellation or self-imposed punishments. And many other works are done by many people in this world in a vain attempt to seek the favor and forgiveness of God. Yet consider the truth that we find in Scripture. We read from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, as Paul writes, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and not that of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. No man can boast of his works. We cannot work our way to heaven. This philosophy of works-based salvation was spawned in hell itself. And can I state tonight that Satan wants men to bring the works of their hands as an offering for their sins unto God. There is one recorded in Scripture who did just that. Turn with me, please, to Genesis chapter 4. It's all turned together. Genesis chapter 4. 
And let's begin reading at verse number 1. And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And here we see that Cain brought to the Lord the efforts of his own hands the works of his own hands. Cain had tilled the ground. He had planted the seeds. He had tended the garden. He had had grown the fruit. And he took of this in a vain effort to please God with an offering. And God, the Bible says, had no respect unto that offering. Consider the truth that we find in Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 6 concerning our works where we read, but we are all as an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf. And our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. And here Isaiah reminds us that the efforts that we place into into works to please the Lord are vain works. They are, as Isaiah says, filthy rags. Not one man nor woman ever born is able to claim eternal life based upon their own works. For Scripture clearly states in Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 4, Behold, all souls are mine. As the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. And not one of us here tonight can claim to have never sinned. Romans 3.23 states clearly, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And if we were to try to claim that we have not and do not sin, John has an answer for that claim also. In 1 John chapter 1 and verse 8, John states, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Oh yes, all men are sinners. I got news for you tonight. You may be a child of God. You may be born again, but you're still a sinner. The only difference between you and some unsaved man out on the street is the fact that you're saved and he's not. But there is no other difference outside of God's redemption. All men are sinners. No sinner. No sinner will see the face of God in his kingdom unless, as Jesus states in John chapter 3 and verse 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And here is where the plethora of religions today begin to disagree. Oh, how often have I heard people say to me, there are many roads to heaven. Many paths, they'll say. 
But are there? Are there many paths to, to heaven? Well, according to the scriptures, there is not. According to Jesus himself, there is not. For Jesus states in John chapter 14 and verse 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus is the only way. Religion today cannot offer us, cannot offer anyone a true hope of salvation. Rather, they offer us a conglomeration of man-made inventions. I, I thought about today the things that I was taught as a child that were mandated rituals, or mandated ceremonies that must be uh, performed. Things such as purgatory. Can I state to you that purgatory is not taught anywhere in Scripture? Nowhere in the Bible do we see purgatory taught. Now, if purgatory existed, don't you think Jesus would have preached about it? But yet he didn't. Why? Because it doesn't exist. Matter of fact, purgatory didn't appear. It appeared in Catholic dogma around 160 A.D. And this is historical fact, by the way. The prayer for the dead was instituted in the, in the Catholic Church in 160 A.D. At no point in Scripture does it appear. At no time did Jesus or any of the apostles teach it. At no time did any prophet ever offer a hope of redeeming a soul out of, out of hell through purgatory's door. In fact, concerning the dead, in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27, it states, And it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. You die, and then you face judgment. There's no purgatory. There's no holding cell. There are millions and millions and millions of Roman Catholics tonight offering money, paying money to the church to have prayers offered for their dead relatives that they might be granted access to heaven. You know, Scripture says they will make merchandise of you, and that's exactly what they're doing. I think of All Saints Day. All Saints Day, originally named the Feast of All Martyrs, started in the 4th century. It was mandated by Pope St. Boniface IV in 608 A.D. Jesus didn't say anything about All Saints Day. I think of Ash Wednesday. When I was a boy, before I went to school on Ash Wednesday, I'd have to go to the church and get the ashes on my forehead. Fortunately, I wasn't alone because I lived in a Catholic community, so we all had the same mark of the beast on our foreheads. Ash Wednesday first started in the year 960 A.D. under the auspices of the Roman Germanic Pontif Pope John XI. I'm sorry, 12th. Looking at Roman numerals, my eyes are crossing. The, the, the season of Lent. Oh, that's a big one. That, that's where people give up potato chips and ice cream and all for the glory of God. I'm suffering for the Lord. I'm not going to eat chips for 40 days. Lent was implemented by the Council of Nicaea and mandated a 40-day feast to fulfill what they call the apostolic institution of the feast, of the fast. 
You know, I, I don't know about you, I'm not sure, but I don't find any place in Scripture where the apostles fasted for 40 days as a, as a ceremonial event, as a holy day. And I could go on. Holy Thursday was invented in 1264 A.D. by Pope Urban IV. Uh, Good Friday, instituted by the Roman Catholic Church, first appeared in a 4th century catechism, the Apostolic Constitutions. And we could go on and on and on with all of these man-made ceremonies. Now, I must stress the fact that not one of these so-called holy days were ever mentioned, practiced, nor implemented by our Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the head of the church. As the head of the church, it is Jesus and Jesus alone who can mandate such things. Turn with me into Colossians chapter 1. Let's all turn together. Colossians chapter 1. As I said, this is going to be a lengthy introduction because I want, to, I want us to understand tonight what we are facing as witnesses for Christ. Colossians chapter 1. Let's begin reading at verse number 9, please. Colossians chapter 1, beginning at verse number 9. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, Do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. That's the point I'd like to help half these so-called genius scientists in the world figure out. When they are searching for the origin of the universe, here it is. Any first-grade Bible, any, any first grade Bible student can, can tell them how things came to be. Verse 17, and he is before all things, And by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Who's the head of the church? Jesus Christ is the head of the church. In all his glory, God has placed him above every other thing in the universe. It is Jesus who is our head. When we fail to submit to Christ in accordance with his preserved word, we make ourselves vulnerable to false witnesses. Listen, this is why there are so many deceived people in the world today. This is why so many people are involved in religions that have absolutely no hope of offering them redemption. Paul stated in the scriptures, for they being ignorant, have gone about to establish their own righteousness and have not submitted themselves under the righteousness of God. Talking about Israel, he said, they have a zeal. I know know they're zealous, 
These Pharisees and these, these Sadducees and these scribes, they're zealous people. You know, these Islams running around the world, they're very zealous people. Far more zealous than you and I. But their, zealous is, their, their, their zeal is in ignorance. Having failed to submit themselves unto Christ. And this is the case of so many today. Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 2, But there were false prophets also among the people, even, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. Listen, you and I tonight must remember the admonition of the Apostle Paul. In Galatians chapter 1, he tells us, But though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. And as we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. Listen, this is so important, Paul said it twice. I am sad to say today that religion cannot offer a true witness as they do not possess the truth. But we, the elect saints of God, it is we that are given the truth and are thereby responsible to witness of this to all mankind. It is this that I wish to admonish you with tonight. This responsibility to be a witness for Christ. I fear that far too few Christians today are obeying the Lord in this commission. And this is affirmed by the statement of the Lord himself. In John chapter 4 and verse 35, we read, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, Lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. In Matthew chapter 9 and verse 37, we read, Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Now tonight, I wish to remind you that we are God's witnesses upon this earth. God expects each of us to be a witness unto him. And this we should do at every opportunity we have. So all of this comes together and leads me to basically give you three questions concerning this matter of being a witness for Christ. So tonight we're going to start with number one. Roman numeral one, first question is this. Where should we witness? Where should we witness? In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, we read, But ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in all Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Now, this is one of the most redundant questions I've ever heard. Where should we witness? 
The answer is real simple. Witness right where you are. Just witness right where you are. Jesus said, in, he said right there in the scripture, uh, be a witness in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. We're, we're to be a witness worldwide. We're to be a worldwide witness. Every place, everywhere, the gospel is to be given. But I can't go everywhere today. So as a church, what do we do? We've, we put together, uh, we, we, we come together with, with missionaries and we, we, uh, we team up with a missionary. We support him and he goes forth and he witnesses in our, in our stead in his area. So does that relieve us of, of the other areas of witness? No, we are to witness right where we are. Have you ever maybe thought that God put you right where he wanted you to be so you could talk to everyone he brings into your life? That's what we're to do. We're to witness where we are. And if God calls you and touches you and sends you to another place, then go there and witness there. But be busy witnessing right where you are. You know, Ronan Park needs to be witnessed to. Ronan Park needs a witness just as, just as great as Kenya needs a witness. Matter of fact, maybe more. Do you know the gospel may be more desperately needed, Brother Moline, in Roner Park than in Kenya? And what do we do? We sit back on our haunches and say, hey, well, let's support some guy in Kenya while your neighbor's going to burn in hell. Who's going to witness to your neighbor? You are. Witness right where you are. At work, at school, when shopping, at the doctor, at the ball game. Be a witness for God right where you are. In fact, you are being a witness as you sit here in church tonight. You're like, what? I'm witnessing in church? How can I be a witness in a church full of Christians? I'm so glad someone asked me that question. So let me answer it for you. Let me give you three thoughts as how that, that proves why you are a witness as you sit even in church. Number one, be in your place. Be in your place. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. Be in your place. You know, there are three basic reasons Three primary reasons why God allowed Israel to continually go into captivity. One of them was idol worship. And I'll tell you what, in America today, we have a lot of idol worshipers. And I'm not talking about people idolizing or worshiping statues of Mary or Joseph or Jesus. I'm talking about people who are worshiping their God, the dollar, and, and, and entertainment. Amen? Am I, am I lying? If I am, somebody tell me. America is an idol-worshiping nation. There's a second reason why God allowed them to fall in captivity, and that's because they stole the tithe. Brother John, he knows. They, they worshiped idols, they stole the tithe. And Can anyone tell me the third one? Anybody know it? They, didn't, they broke the Sabbath. 
You know, one of these days, someone's going to come up to me and say, when are you going to stop talking about being in church? When God's people get the message. That's when I'm going to stop talking about it. That's when I'm going to stop. Instead of making excuses about why you can't be in church, why not find reasons why you ought to be in church? Make a list of those reasons and keep it on, pen to your, your refrigerator. Why? Because when you are faithful to be in church, you are making a statement. You are saying, nothing is more important to me than obedience to God. You are witnessing when you are in your place on Sunday. Conversely, you are also witnessing when you are not in your place on Sunday. You are saying, God is not the most important thing in my life. I have other things that are equally important. And you are telling this, by the way, to your family, to your friends, and to your neighbors. Because they see you not going to church. The truth is that you are going to witness concerning this matter one way or the other. Listen, when it comes to the Lord's house, there is no other place I want to be, and there is no other place I should be. Be in your place. Number two, participate in all things. Participate in everything. I mean, take part in everything that goes on in your church. Take part in the singing. You know, some people, they they have it computed as to how late they can arrive to be here before the preaching starts. You know, singing is part of the worship service. Did you know that? It's part of it. Church starts at 11, not 11.29. Be a part of the singing. Hey, by the way, Talk to Brother Moline about singing in the choir. You say, man, I'll hurt it. No, you won't. Trust me. You, you, won't. you won't harm our choir. Get in there and sing. Uh, participate in everything. Tithing. I can't afford to tithe. You can't afford not to tithe. Offering. You know, when, when, when the church takes a special offering, give something. Skip McDonald's that Sunday afternoon and, and get yourself, give the church the money. Give an offering. Uh, work days. Church calls a work day. Man, be a part of that. Get over here and do something. Uh, Sunday school. We do have Sunday school, by the way, in case you didn't know it. You know, I'm going to say something. I might get you mad, and if I do, I'm sorry, but I'm going to say it anyway. I, I, I really appreciate the fact that when I had an adult Sunday school, a lot of you liked it and you came, and you don't like the format of the forum class. But you know what? Whether you like the forum class format or not, you ought to be in Sunday school. Amen? Amen. Who are you here for, by the way? The Amen. So if you're here for the Lord, then you ought to be here. It doesn't matter who's speaking. Be here. Sunday school, that's a part of the church. Be here. Uh, participate in everything. Pioneer club. I don't have a child. Then teach. Help. Do something. Bring a cookie. Participate. Uh, the, the, our day school, our Christian school. Unfortunately, we can't afford to pay you, but we'd love to have you help. Come on in and say, hey, can I help? Sure, take this book and read it to these kids. Uh, We'll find something for you to do, I promise you. We'll find something for you to do. Participate. Everything. Our athletic programs. uh, Special meetings. Fellowships. And any other thing that goes on. Whatever it is, get involved. Now, To do this takes commitment. 
Why is it that we find the time to do the things we want to do, but just can't seem to find the time for the things we ought to do? The things that God desires for us to do. I mean, today men find time for camping, fishing, hiking, biking, ball games, barbecues, shopping, swimming, and the list goes on forever. But when it comes time for participating in the ministries of the local church, we just don't have the time. Now, I am convinced that everything I need is provided by God through his local church ministries. I, I believe that with all my heart. God works through the local church, and I believe that everything I need... Listen, young people, I'm talking about a spouse. I'm talking about a future. I'm talking about everything you need, God will provide for you through the local church. We do not need to go to the world for the things that God has already promised to give us through his, through his people. All the friendships, all the mentors, all the entertainment, everything I need is provided for me right here. Listen, I don't know about you, but I tell you what, I had a great time Saturday. 21 men and boys got together. We went to the USS Hornet. We toured that ship. And it's not, you know what, for me, it wasn't so much the ship as much as it was being together. Being with my brothers, sharing, sharing some, some, some time together. We don't need to go to the world for our entertainment. We don't need to go to the world for our friendships. God has provided all of that for us right here in the local church. When I think of commitment, I think of Job. Job was in a horrible state, yet in verse in chapter 13 and verse 15, he stated, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. John Gill paraphrases this verse as follows. Though I die on the spot instantly, I will stand by it and make it appear, the, and, and make it appear that the ways I have walked in are right, that I have behaved as a sincere, upright man, a man fearing God and eschewing evil, a character which God himself has given of me, and I have not forfeited it. Now, I don't know about you tonight, but Job definitely witnesses to me. He witnesses to me of faith, courage, commitment, diligence, trust, hope, and victory. Imagine for a moment going to Disneyland and intentionally missing out on two-thirds of the things that you could do. That would be kind of dumb, wouldn't it? Pay all that money, get in there and say, ah, I'm not going to go do that. <laughs> I don't want to go do that. I don't want to see that. I don't want to be a part of that. And that's what so many people do with the church. So apply that logic to, to being a part of your church tonight. Do all you can do and do all you should do. Then lastly, number three, practice what you preach. How can you witness? Well, be in your place. How can you witness? Participate in all things. How can you witness? Practice what you preach. Romans chapter 2, verses 21 through 23. Thou therefore which teachest another... Teachest thou not thyself? Thou that preachest a man should not steal, dost thou steal? Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Thou that makest thy boast of the law, through breaking the law, dishonorest thou God? Far too many Christians in America are leading double lives. We have one life that we live when the... Within the walls of the church building, 
then we have another life that we live outside of the church building. We live by one set of rules, Monday through Saturday. Then on Sunday, we put on a facade for all to see. That reminds me of the story of the preacher who was visiting and walked into the home of of church members and sat there, and and the the father looked at, at the son and said, Son, go get that book that we all love so dearly. And he came walking in with the Sears Roebuck catalog. I have had people come to me and ask me for advice as to what they can do to get their children interested in coming to church. And my answer would be, lead them by your example. Practice what you preach. Listen, why should our children desire church when we don't? Why should our children listen to godly music when we don't? Why should they control what they watch on TV and where they go on the Internet when we don't? Why should they tie to the local church when we don't? Why should they read their Bibles and pray when we don't? I believe in leading by example. My father taught me this. It is easier to get people to work with you than it is to get them to work for you. Be a person of example. Be a person of your word. Read your Bible every day with your children. Teach your children why some TV shows and Internet sites are wrong, and stay away from them yourself. Support your church with your tithes and offerings, and let your children see you do it, not for the praise of men, rather as an example unto righteousness. Be a faithful man. Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 19 tells us, Confidence in an unfaithful man in times of trouble is like a broken tooth and a foot out of joint. Be faithful. Don't, don't be like a broken tooth. You ever break a tooth? Oh, you can't bite down on it. It's painful. You ever, you ever, you ever dislocate your, your foot or twist your ankle? It hurts. You can't walk on it. It hinders you from, from being able to do anything. Don't be that way. Don't be that kind of person. Don't be an unfaithful person. It hinders, it hinders your church, and it, 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 it hurts your God. Don't do it. A preacher once told me this, as a teacher in school, I had a preacher once tell me this, you can never expect your students to love the Lord more than you do. And parents, you can never expect your children to be any more faithful to church and the Lord than you are. We must be an example. You see, the last blanks on your your statement are this. Your talk talks, and your walk talks. But your walk talks louder than your talk talks. You ever hear the old saying, don't do as I do, do as I say? I'm sorry. People are going to do as you do. So what do we do? Well, we, we become faithful people. We follow the leadership and example of our Lord Jesus Christ and and the apostles as they served the Lord. And we we use that example to to, to shape and build our own lives. Now, folks, please listen to me. I am not standing up here tonight vaunting myself as some perfect individual. God knows I've got my faults, and if you want to know what they are, probably for a couple of bucks my wife will list them out for you and give you the list. She probably will even put a few on there I don't even know about. 
I'm not standing up here tonight and saying, look at me, I got it all straight. You know what? I, before, I preach, before I ever preach a message, I preach it to myself. Matter of fact, most of the time when I, when I frame these messages, I frame them from the mistakes I made and learned from. We are to be witnesses. And, and I, I can't tell you, I can't stress enough, we're to witness right where we are, and everything we do is a witness. How we behave, the way we behave in public, the way we handle ourselves, the way we love each other, the way everything we do is a witness. It is speaking loudly to everyone who sees us. And so often, as Christian parents, we, 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 we forget about those who are closest to us. And, and, and we, we take advantage of them and we, we fail to, to be the leader we need to be, the example we need to be for them. I don't want to preach Sunday morning's message before Sunday morning comes along, so I'm not going to go any deeper. But let me just say tonight, be in your place. Participate in everything that goes on in the local church. Be a part of all of it. You know, I'm the kind of guy, when I go to a buffet, I like to, I like, I like to get a little bit of everything. Now, maybe I won't like some of the things. And I'll make sure I don't ever get those things again. But I, you know, I just want, I want to be a part of everything. And most of you who know me know that I am. I'm a little, I, I have a little bit to do with everything that goes on around here. And that's not, that's just because I want to. I, I want to be involved in God's church. And then practice what you preach. Practice what you preach. Be the kind of man that if you say something, everybody knows it's going to take place. Be a man of your word. Lead by example. And in all these things, we give God the glory. For it is God who is worthy of all glory and all honor. Were it not for God, you and I tonight would be lost and undone. We are what we are. Paul said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And it is, it is time that all of God's people become a witness. And we witness right where we are. And we witness by everything we say and do. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would use the words that were spoken tonight. Lord, you know I, I didn't want to offend anyone. I don't want to hurt anyone. I just want to preach the truth. Lord, help me to, to, to get rid of those things in my life that would hinder me from being the witness I need to be for you. Use each of us in this community, not that we might make a name for ourselves, but that we might build a church in this place, a lighthouse that, that honors and and, and glorifies God. Use each person here tonight to be a blessing to someone this week. Help us to be a witness in all that we do. And we'll thank you and we'll praise you for this. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right.